Hi, I'm Steve Barlow. This is the Humanized Workforce Future You podcast, where we talk about perceptions of the future, issues we need to be aware of, and their role in a rapidly changing work and life environment. Hi, I'm Craig Saffin. Day by day, we are all learning to live with the impact technology, AI, and changing health and social conditions have on our lives. The Humanized Workforce Future You podcast series thinks the future is bright and something to look forward to. Welcome once again to the Humanized Workforce Future You podcast. I'm Steve Barlow, joined as always by uh, Craig Saffin. Hi. How are you, Craig? Hey, I'm great, Steve. Good morning. And uh, today we've got a special guest, Praveen Ponaru, who's joining us uh, from near Toronto in Canada. And uh, uh, Praveen is going to uh, talk uh, a little bit about his background to start off with and then explore some of the topics that we've been thinking of uh, more recently in our podcast series. So, uh, Praveen, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, your background? Of course. Uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. And uh, to give you my background, I moved to Canada back in 2012. <clears throat> Cheers. Excuse me, chasing my dream to become a family physician. And I was a registered nurse and I went to school again in Canada because I had to redo my nursing. But then I decided that I am very passionate about health human resources. So I ended up in the HR industry in the last 10 years and I have worked for several healthcare companies in Canada. And during the course of my job, we realized that. Staffing shortages is one of the biggest challenges across Canada and in US. So that is how I gave up my corporate job and I started my own healthcare company. And I'm currently working very closely with the Canadian government to address the staffing shortages okay. by bringing okay. people. Okay. So, oh, that's, that's an amazing story, uh, Praveen. Thank you very much for sharing. Um, it's uh, not, not a trivial thing to uh, shift yourself uh, across countries. So, um, yeah. Well done on that. I wanted to ask you about your um, your company working in the healthcare industry. What is it uh, predominantly doing? What we are actually doing is uh, there is surplus amount of physicians and nurses in countries like uh, Philippines, India, South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Zambia. And these people are struggling with lack of opportunities in those countries. They constantly look at Western countries like to live an American dream or to live a Canadian dream. Sure. where they want to come here and better their lives because uh, the dignity of labor in those countries is really poor. Yes. And they pretty much get paid like $300 USD for their entire month work as a registered nurse. Right. So I keep getting asked a lot of times whenever I visit my family back home in India, I, a lot of people approach me and they say that, uh, can you please help us to get a job in Canada and in US? So that is how I have uh, decided that I should help all these people. And then when I recognized the amount of crisis that we have in Canada, and it is not humanly possible for us to cover all these gaps without seeking the help of other countries. So that is how I ended up reaching with the Canadian government. And I have submitted a proposal to bring people from different countries to work as caregivers to begin with. And then my company is willing to provide them the ongoing support that is required for them to transfer their credentials from different countries 
and do their license exams so that I can create a huge pool of nurses to build a better and stronger healthcare system. Well, I can imagine that's a, quite a complex process. There'd be, there'd be visa issues and there'd be qualifications, credentials, things like that. So you're um, really helping them through a, quite a complex process, aren't you? Yeah. So how did, the, how did this, uh, I mean, it sounds like a fantastic business you've got there and, and uh, helping a lot of people, but also helping the shortage of uh, skilled labour in Canada, it sounds like, because we certainly got a big shortage in that same area in Australia, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. So how, do, how did you become interested? Because you're obviously passionate about the future of work and positioning people uh, for future skills and so on. How did you become passionate in that space? What happened is, to give you a short story how I became so passionate, is when I was in school for nursing in Canada, I started working for a healthcare uh, agency. And this agency was pretty new back in the day in 2013. And what they used to do is, they used to hire nurses and caregivers, and they used to send us to long-term care and retirement homes as a temporary staff. Mm. which technically means when the long-term care or the retirement home doesn't have enough staff or if someone calls in, that is when we get a call to the agency. And I used to work for this temp agency as a student. Right. And when I started working for this temp agency, the nursing home that I was working for had severe shortages. And this agency that I started working for only had four staff. So the people who are working in the uh, nursing home, they used to ask me, does your agency have more staff? We need more staff. Mm. So I took an initiative and I approached my boss and I asked her, uh, do, you, do we have more staff? Because they're asking for more staff. And she said, no, we don't. And I'm trying my best to find more staff. Mm. Then I asked her, do you need help? Because uh, I was an international student at Conestoga College. And there was 40 doctors in my, in my class at that point because the Canadian government gave all the doctors an opportunity to go through the nursing program for free. So that is when I realized that I can help her. So I went to my class and I asked all my friends, would you guys be interested to work as a caregiver? Because we are in school and we are eligible to work as caregivers. And I got like 30 staff in the next 30 days. And that is when I realized that I'm very good at communicating the message to other people to attract because now what happens is the the seniors in the nursing home are struggling due to lack of staff. So now when I got all this staff, we are able to help more people. So that was my starting point, how I became so passionate about facilitating and bringing the top quality candidates in order to serve the healthcare system, as well as the seniors who are struggling. So that that was my turning point in life. And uh, that is when I realized that my biggest strength is networking and convincing people and marketing and bringing the workforce bringing the people into workforce so then that is how i have realized my strengths and uh, i was immediately given uh, a recruiter position in that uh, agency that i was uh, working for from there i have uh, developed so many other skills because basically being a nurse you don't have so much information about hr so I had to learn everything. So I don't have the credentials for HR, but yeah. what I have is like 10 years of HR experience where I was interacting with people. 
Sure. So, so uh, one of the things that stood out to me in there is that uh, that difficulty in transitioning across countries as a professional. When you said the uh, the doctors that had come from other countries uh, were allowed to do the nursing course for free or something, it's a uh, it's yeah. uh, it's uh, my mind's uh, boggling on that where these people are qualified <laughs> as doctors, but now they're doing a nursing course. So anyhow, I think we, to be honest, it's not that different in Australia uh, when people come from overseas with qualifications. So let, let's talk about. Uh, from uh, from what your experience is now and how you're trying to position people uh, for their future skills and being relevant in the workplace. So let's talk about a topic of re- uh, just quickly about recruitment and retention. I think you've start you've started to touch on that. So let's talk about that for a minute. Okay, <clears throat> being an immigrant, being an international student, and uh, coming and doing my redoing my nursing program again here has really opened my eyes. And what I'm ex- <clears throat> what I'm trying to do right now is I'm trying to make sure that people don't go through the pain what I had to go through. So, which is one of the reasons why I have uh, been doing something which is outside the box, mm. and it is very non-traditional, especially in countries like Canada, US, and uh, Australia and UK, because in terms of recruitment, it doesn't matter what size company you are; they choose the most traditional ways, like posting <laughs> a job on Indeed. Or sure. posting a job on uh, LinkedIn yeah, sure. and then spending uh, hundreds of thousands of, do- of dollars to cover these positions, but they never train their uh, managers, the recruiting managers, in such a way where they can go outside the box. Like to give you an example, when I started working as a recruiter, I went to all the churches in the around Kitchener, Cambridge, and Toronto area, and I started building relationships with the churches. Uh-huh. And, and the reason why is because every immigrant and international student who moves to this country are going through a lot of pain. And the first place they go is to church. Uh-huh, and then they ask the pastors to pray for them to get a job. Okay. So to give you, that is one basic example what I'm talking about. So I have networked with all the universities, colleges, immigration centers, and all these places. But this is something what really stands out in my career is the building relationships with the churches because one of the HR director recently asked me when I was interviewed, why would you go to a church to hire people? And I'm like, then I gave her the explanation what I just said. And she was amazed. And she's like, wow, that's incredible. I I was so successful in terms of recruitment is that is because I'm trying to find the non-traditional ways how to attract more people. So, so the uh, so just looking outside the box and trying not to. I, in fact, I had a discussion with a, a professional yesterday who's helping um, people in a similar way and just trying to to get them to think differently about the profiles they want to advertise and yeah. uh, the types of people they want to get into their organisation. So, I think uh, for as far as positioning workforces for the future, thinking outside the box, like you're t- saying, is very, very important. And um, yeah. it's, it's interesting insight. Can we just move? Uh, what about uh, how is the uh, DEI um, effort in uh, in Canada and in the industry you're working in? Uh, in Australia, I think it's um, fair to say that it's still um, trying to make inroads and um, yeah. it's starting to become part of the language on a day-to-day. But how is it in, uh, in Canada? The, uh, in terms of DEI, I have recently shared a post uh, which would uh, really cover the benefits because I want to talk about the positivity because the thing is 
when you throw the negative stuff to people or the organizations what happens is it piles up in their head and it creates more tension and more frustration rather than giving them a relief yes so what the path what i have chose is to lay out all the benefits what happens when the dei is properly executed in any organization it doesn't have to be healthcare across any industry so the recent post what i have made on linkedin about uh, the 15 benefits of uh, diversity equity and inclusion the first one is it gives us a global outlook mm-hmm. when you have people from different races like from india from philippines from uh, scotland from germany what happens is we bring different ideas to the table so that really allows the leaders in the organization to make an informed decision based on the in, based on the input that is provided by different types of uh, races different types of cultures right and then it increases the creativity in the organization then the cross pollination of ideas happen and that is when innovation takes place and then we have real time decision making real time decision making would be possible when the leaders are interested to listen to their employees mm. the real time decision is not possible when there is a dei coach or dei leader in an organization doing everything right. without involving the people and the and the executive team right yeah. and when everyone is included we will have a culture which is going to be celebrated where everyone feels included where everyone takes responsibility as well as accountability yeah. to put forward what challenges they have and what problems they have and if they have any possible solutions they would be more than willing to share it and it also gives high engagement in the organization when everyone is included and then it increases the curiosity of other people to get to know <clears throat> when some, when someone shares their perspective and that might be a novel idea for you just like how i said when i said i concentrate on building relationships with churches <clears throat> the hr director who had 35 years experience she was shocked so she never knew this perspective until i put it forward mm. so and it also allows us to solve problems because when there is too many brains and too many different perspectives from different cultures yeah. what happens is we look at problems in a different way for me i look at problem as a possibility to innovate Yeah. but the leader whoever is in the position he might be frustrated with so many other things and he might not be able to think clearly even though there is solution available so yeah, that I is think, uh, biggest... i think uh, steve and i have been spending a lot of time on problem solving and optimism and things like that in organizations and talking yeah. about exactly what you're talking about it's very related because having different uh people mm-hmm. in the room uh the leader doesn't have to know everything uh but the leader has to be able to facilitate that process and extract the ideas and the the uh, the experience that's in the room which is exactly what you're saying um yeah. i think that uh, the, the thing uh, that uh, came across we interviewed um, a couple of people about diversity equity inclusion and one of the things that came across is that maybe we have diversity and maybe we 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 think we have equity but we haven't yet achieved inclusion um have you have you experienced that as well where where people have a bit of diversity in the organization whether it's on gender or race or a few other things um or cultures um but they might even think they've got equity uh, on paper anyway but do you think that the inclusion piece is the most difficult yes inclusion is our challenge uh, craig the thing is diversity starts with inclusion mm. and diversity is not a destination it is a journey right 
and it never ends mm. and we have to evolve based on whatever comes our way like the in terms of covid as an example now half of the workplaces have gone hybrid if not remote work mm. so everything that is going to ch- it is going to change everything is changing and we need to make ourselves and we need to position ourselves in such a way that we are receptive to change rather mm. than to fight the change and in order to accept the change and come up with the solutions you need inclusion you need your people to be on board and without bringing people on board there is no point of you hiring an asian a white black and a brown and calling it diversity that is not diversity right. unless someone has a voice in the organization to contribute yeah in every in every level there is no diversity in any organization it is just something what people are writing saying that our company has diversity that is not true mm, very interesting um i think uh, just what i'd like to move from there that point is into um talking can we talk about psychological safety because i think it's a inter, inter, integral to what you were just saying um yeah. so having a psychologically safe uh work environment um is really yeah. uh part and parcel what you, of the dei piece isn't it there are six steps for psychological safety okay the framework what i have come up with the first thing is being approachable to give you an example say you have kid you have kids and you are an angry dad and the kid and the kid has a problem do you think the kid is going to come and approach you because he knows that you are already angry all the time so if you are not approachable there is no way that your employees are going to come to you either to share the problems what they have or share the ideas that they have to solve the existing problems what we have so that is what i think is the first step in terms of psychological safety where leaders should be more approachable and this activates communication when you are approachable and the second step is being compassionate say i am very empathetic by nature and whenever i meet any staff i am so kind and i am so respectful and i always ask them how can i help that that attitude itself will give them an opportunity to open up because that gives them the opportunity to talk freely because that is what is psychological safety all about where you make other people feel safe to talk to you mm. that is the second step and in terms of the third step is the ones that we that we just discussed being included mm. when you are included technically they you are valuing their you are valuing your employees mm. you are saying that you have a value i want you to be a part of this mm. whatever the objectives and goals might be i want you to contribute and i want you to have a seat at the table so mm. that we all can come up with solutions and we can take this company to the new level mm. and the fourth step is being vulnerable like when i say vulnerable i don't have to share about something which is too personal sure. like even if i share something about for example when i say how i came to canada and how many difficulties i had to face in my initial stages of life and how i ended up coming to this point when i share this as a leader in my organization it gives people an opportunity to relate to to my story mm. that relation and that connection is what is important in terms of creating a psychological safety in any organization i think that is what plays a key role in the future of work which is mm. vulnerability and the mm. next one is listening to understand mm. 
people often just listen to respond rather rather than to understand what others are saying so they're when you are they're, react- they're already on to the next point before the answer yeah they're already on to the next right. point yeah. yeah yeah and that is when people feel like they are not being heard right. and if they are not being heard obviously you are they are not they are not included yeah and then the last step is the psychological safety because when people are included and heard that is when psychological safety is developed mm. where that is when innovation takes place because now that everyone is included and are being heard obviously we'll be able to come up with super innovative solutions or at least to solve the existing challenges what we have which has piled up for a very long time so that is exactly what i think psychological safety should be mm. is to give you a, a summary of it is to include people and provide them a safe environment to speak up do you think uh, do you think uh, of all of your clients what percentage do you think have a psychologically safe uh, work environment in terms of my company or yeah, uh, not in your company but uh, across your client base yeah across the client base i personally think i am setting uh, up uh, psychological safety at every level in terms of the clients what uh, we have at this point yeah. which is one of the reasons why i have been getting a lot of interest both in canada as well as i'm getting calls from australia uk as well as us uh, requesting me to help with the staffing shortages at this point yeah but do you think do you think a lot of your clients it's easy for them to have a psychologically safe work environment or do you think it's a difficult uh, challenge for them it is uh, a challenge for most organizations at this point especially yeah, right. in healthcare because the burnout rates are sitting at 74.6% right now Right. Okay. And the, that clearly says that the psychological safety is not existing in right. in healthcare in any country at this point. Yeah. Whenever you got high turnover or you've got a transient high turnover, yeah, yeah exactly. high turnover, yeah. burnout, and uh, the great resignation is happening. That is also because of the lack of psychological safety as right. well. Seems to be an industry problem because exactly what you've described is what we have in Australia as well at the moment. It's a huge problem. So. Okay, that's uh, been fascinating. Steve, are uh, you interested in uh, uh, trying to pull that together or yeah, what do you think? Yeah, yeah some, some great yeah, points um, in there. Okay, so I'll just pull some of these points together, Praveen. Um, firstly, I'd say that it's, it's about, you've talked about <clears throat> the idea of bringing people together um, <clears throat> to solve problems and to solve, to meet needs. And you've also talked about having a very clear focus in what you're doing. You know, you know, you seem to know exactly what it is that you're doing and exactly how you're you're trying to help people and the kind of help that you're trying to provide and the kind of people that you're trying to provide the help to. So there's a lesson there for all of us to be clear about these points. Mm-hmm. Um a word that came across to me a lot was, uh, well, you, you talked about seeing the need, seeing the need, and um, <clears throat> you you were aware of that from your own experience. You'd actually experienced the need of, of being yeah. not included and of, uh, of, of having to jump through all of these hoops. Um, and you also talked about seeing the opportunity yeah. And there's a difference between seeing a need and seeing an opportunity. Uh, you, if you just see the need and don't see the opportunity, you can't really do much about it. But part of the seeing of the opportunity was to think outside the, 
box thing outside the square. Yeah. And you talked about like going to places where people where people meet, where people who are new to a country, who who are feeling like they don't really belong and haven't found a safe place to be, they go to a church. And that's a place where they can find people who will make them feel secure and maybe open doors. And so you saw that as an opportunity to go there and meet these people and help them uh, find the things that they're looking for. Um, so these are very real needs. And then you talked about um, um, positivity and, and rather than focusing on the problems, uh, which can be overwhelming and make people feel kind of negative, uh, anxious, uh, to focus on the benefits and the solutions. Yeah. And um, uh, you talked a lot about, um, you know, the, the benefits of diversity, and equity and inclusion, um, the new ideas that it brings, the creativity, the doors that it opens towards opportunities and innovations. And you talked then about, and I love the thing you talked about, diversity is a journey, not a destination. I mean, that's my tweaking of it, but that was what you basically said. Yeah, yeah. that is exactly what it means. So, uh, you know, it's not a tick the box and say, well, we've done that, we've got to move on. It's it's always part of the box that needs to be ticked. And uh, But in, in invol involving in that of including people and, and creating this environment where good stuff can happen, the importance of psychological safety, and I, I thought it was fantastic that you brought out those six steps that are really practical things that we can put into practice and we know, what, we know where we can head with that. But the importance of it is that good things don't happen unless we create the environment for good things to happen. And there are people with talents and abilities and different perspectives and, and great ideas, but organisations need to create the space for these people to bring these ideas out into the open and feel it's safe to express them. And when that space is created, and uh, as you pointed out, it's, it's, it's sort of we're not there yet. We've got a long way to go in creating these spaces. But when we create these spaces... Hopefully, in the future, we'll have more of these spaces, yeah. and and more people will have a voice, and more ideas will 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 come out, and 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 this is part of the evolution of society and business and all of all of these sorts of things. So, but people like you are pointing the way forward and saying, "Hey, these things are important," and that's what we're trying to do too in this podcast. So, uh, I hope you were saying there, Praveen. Thanks very much, Praveen. That's uh, some great insights. I really appreciate your um, fitting in with the Australian time zone there. So <laughs> that's great. That's quite late where you are. Thank you. Thanks. I am honored. I am honored uh, to be a part of this because I am uh, really fascinated uh, and I'm truly inspired with your mission to bring positive awareness in the workplaces. And I'm a strong advocate for safe and healthy workplaces. So I guess our missions are aligned, and I would love to. And I would love to contribute in any possible way to carry forward your mission. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Humanized Workforce Future You. Please leave a rating or review for the series on the medium where you source your podcasts. The transcripts for today's podcast can be found on craigsaffin.com. That's C-R-A-I-G. 
sapehim.com. Please subscribe to the series so you don't miss out on the interviews or the future podcasts. Thank you.